Welcome to Warrensville Reaching New Heights. I'm June Scharf, your host. I'm also the Director of Communications and Activities for the City of Warrensville Heights. It's been a very busy week. We launched a new website and it looks fantastic. Uh, one of the reasons I mention it is because it is one of the portals to the podcast. So if uh, you're listening to the podcast on one of the podcast platforms, but you know others who might like to access it and maybe they don't have a smartphone or don't want to use their smartphone for this, um, accessing it through the, the city's website is an easy little workaround. And if you scroll to the very bottom of the, web, the homepage, you will see uh, a promotion for the podcast. All you have to do is click on it and the audio files are all there. Now, I believe all my guests are special, and the person appearing on this episode is certainly no different. I would add, though, that this person is very unique, and by that I mean he's had a full range of experiences that really set him apart. It's Dr. Dale Cates, and he's achieved quite a degree of acclaim as an outstanding orthodontist. He told me that he has had, over his 25-year career, somewhere between 20 and 30,000 patients. What he shares very well is how changing someone's smile, uh, the, the appearance of their teeth, can have a dramatic impact on their self-esteem, their interest even in smiling, and the way they communicate with other people. Now, with all that being said, he also has an incredible backstory in terms of uh, some experiences he had growing up. And I don't want to reveal anything more. I want you to listen to this episode and feel yourself being transported. Dr. Cates, I would like to welcome you to the podcast. I'm very happy to have you here because you have a story unlike anything I've seen for quite a while. So thank you for agreeing to be our guest. My pleasure. I'm happy to be here. Well, I want listeners to know a little bit about you before we go into your uh, story. And basically, they should know that um, you've been in private practice since 1993. And now, 25 years later, you have six offices. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. I have them in Shaker Heights, Cleveland Heights, Parma, Euclid, Mentor, and Warrensville Heights, Orange, you yes, say. Yes, that's okay. correct. Okay. That's tremendous. And um, you also uh, are married to a doctor. Yes. Many people know her as Gigi. That's right. Uh, she practiced internal medicine at UH for quite a while. Yes. And you also have two children, Grant and Sydney. And how old are they? Uh, Grant is 20 and Sydney is 18. Okay, do you think you have any budding doctors? Between the two of their parents, you know, both of their parents, what, what's going to happen here, do you think? Well, I know my son is going to go into entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. And we sort of encourage that because I think it allows him to be very creative. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't sort of trap him into a certain mold right now. Mm -hmm. My daughter, on the other hand, wants to do medicine. She has wow. decided that. I'm wow. trying to talk her into orthodontics because I think it's a much more stable profession, especially for females, mm -hmm. um, but right now she's leaning towards medicine. Okay. <laughs> I wish her the best of luck. <laughs> Me too. Uh, so let's just talk about, first of all, how many patients do you estimate you served over the years? I don't even know if you can come up with that number, but I have a feeling it's really big. Um, I would say at least over 20,000. Wow. Um, maybe I around 30,000, truthfully. That's staggering, but <laughs> 25 years of success can add up. Um, but what led you to dentistry? Because I've, I've read your bio. Mm -hmm. I don't see it. 
So you have to tell me, how did you, you know, decide that this could be your career path? Well, you know, I'll be, I'll be honest, you know, I've always had a strong interest in business. Okay. And when I was in high school, they had you take these aptitude tests, and business was always something I would score high in. And so I, I always thought I was going to be a businessman or, or work in the business field, maybe in corporate America. Uh, my senior year in high school, we did what we call a senior project, and that project made you leave your school and do like an internship somewhere. Okay. Wait, let me just sure. interrupt. You went to high school at, at Hawkins. I went to Hawkins, yes. Mm-hmm. But you also went to the Cleveland Public Schools before that. Right, up, up, until, t- up until ninth grade, I was in Cleveland Public, the Cleveland Public School System, mm-hmm. and then went to Hawkins for high school. Okay, so and, you're doing your senior project. Senior project at Hawkins, and, and I was a procrastinator like a lot of teenagers, and I remember my counselor came to me and said, Dale, said, you're going to be the only senior in school because you haven't turned your papers in for your externship. But I just couldn't find out where I wanted to go, and so I said, I don't know what I want to do. So he said, well, why don't you do your externship with my dentist and I said I don't want to be a dentist I want to be a businessman you know he said well it's either that or you'll be the only one in school so uh, uh, I agreed and I did my my senior project with his dentist and and I'll be honest with you it was the turning point of my life well let's give him credit who was that dentist it was Dr. Henderson Johnson senior Um, and where did he practice? He practiced on Chagrin and Lee Road, so mm-hmm. in, the, in the Shaker Heights area. Uh, he had been established for over 20 years. His grandfather was a dentist. His father was a dentist. So he had this great legacy of uh, accomplishments, and I knew his son. And so uh, it, it worked out to be this great arrangement. And I would go there, and, and I would sit by him and, and watch what he did. Mm-hmm. And, and lo and behold, I, I, t- I started to believe that, one, here's a person who won, has his own business, he is helping the community, he is being respected by the community, he's also making a change in people's lives, a very profound change. And by the end of my internship, I said to myself, it checked all the boxes that I didn't even knew I needed checking, <laughs> but it became the direction of where my life started to go. So from that one episode, it really did, it did create the pathway for myself. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> and. I have to ask, did you have braces as a child? No. Okay. I got them older in life, though. Okay. <laughs> so you know the pain and oh, the... Yeah. the uh, we don't. We don't like to say pain. Okay. But I, I know the. it can be discomforting sometimes. Uh, it can be something that you have to get used to. But at the end of the day, the reward is so special. Right. But I do know the, the pathway or the journey of having braces. <laughs> so I'm more empathetic to all my patients. Okay, that, that's a good thing. Um, okay, so after graduating from um, high school, you went to Earlham College in Richmond, Indiana. And that's where you majored in biology and chemistry. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, I'm fascinated with how you got to where you are. So I, I want everyone to know, uh, how, you know, what went on. But you did um, play basketball. Um, and they were a, it was a Division two program. So right. what position were you in? Uh, I was point guard mm-hmm. and shooting guard. Um, in, in high school at Hawkins, I had a very successful basketball career. Uh, I, I love playing sports. And so when I looked at colleges to go to, um, I wanted to go to school where I could still be an athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, I was not good enough to go to Division one school, truthfully. But the reality is that uh, any school in Indiana has a strong basketball program. Okay. The, the interesting part about Earlham College was that it was a Quaker school. Mm-hmm. And so it was founded by Quakers, which means that it was a very liberal school. 
but also it was funded by Eli Lilly, and Eli Lilly is a very large drug company. And so they had their headquarters at Earlham's campus, which meant that their science program was this phenomenal science program. I mean, it was state-of-the-art, everything you could imagine. And this school basically said, if you apply to this school and you get in, you have a 99% placement for dental school or medical school. Wow. So they had such a strong program that you were literally guaranteed to get into medical or dental school if you, if you went to Earlham. And really, that's why I went there. Um, I love the school. I, I love, I was not that far from home. Um, and, and the Quaker philosophy, uh, I also appreciate as well. Uh, Quakers believe in everyone being equal, men, women, uh, religion. Um, uh, there was nothing that made uh, our, our humanity any different. And, and I believe that today. Um then it was, it was a perfect match. It was a perfect match. Because this, this, they also, we have to um, add that during your senior year, you were able to travel abroad. Right, right. And the thing about Earlham is it is mandatory going to that school that you do a trip abroad. Oh, okay. And so the reality is that, you know, it's not for everyone because some people really don't want to go that far from home. Mm-hmm. But to me, it was, it, was prob- it was an amazing journey for me to discover actually who I am. Mm-hmm and also to appreciate what we also have in, in America. So my senior year, I did go to Kenya, and I lived in Africa for about six months. Uh, I learned to speak Kiswahili there. Um, Can you uh, still speak it? Na hareambo gajambo botatkwa. So wow. a little bit. <laughs> well, what did you just say? I said, I still speak a little. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, but the, the beauty of that trip was when I got to live with the family for three months, and also lived in what they call the Masamar, or the actual um, preserve or the jungle for three months. Uh, so I lived in a tent um, with some other um, colleagues that were there. We would w- wake up every morning, we would study animals, we would walk game preserves, we would um, wow. uh, go into the villages, we would uh, treat some of the kids um, with, with, with basic things that they didn't have, like even just hygiene. We uh, dug wells for sanitary purposes. You know, living with the family, understanding a true custom of the African uh, people was, was an amazing experience. Looking at the, the generations of how they treat each other, um, mm-hmm. how the elders are considered the most smart and then the most regaled people. Um, mm-hmm. You know, here in America, unfortunately, our, our senior citizens, to me, don't get the respect that they really deserve. Uh, it's completely different over in, in Africa. Um, and so when I, when I come home and I, I look at how we are as Americans, uh, it gives me a, 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 a stronger sense of our obligation to our own planet. Mm-hmm. I, I think we are kind of wasteful here, truthfully. But I also think that we have so many amazing opportunities here that it is a blessing to be an American, too. So I learned uh, a great deal when I went abroad. It was very intrepid. Had, had you done any traveling before that, or was this like... This was really it. This I, was I'll it. be honest, you know, my family, we were very middle class. We didn't mm-hmm. do a lot of trips growing up. We would drive to, to um, uh, Canada every summer. You know, that was our trip, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this was my first time really doing something um, that, that pushed my boundaries and got me out of my comfort zone. Um, and now I push that to my kids. Uh, I've had them go to Japan when they were only 12 years of age. Um, my son would be going to Florence um, this summer. Um, well, how did they handle the Japan trip? Did that go okay? It went well. They were very homesick. Okay. Um, you know, well, what about you? Were you homesick? I was. I was homesick because I was so far away. You know, I was in such a foreign place, and some places I didn't speak the language. 
But what it did, it, it challenged me to go deep within myself to say, <clears throat> if I can survive this, I can survive anything. Mm -hmm. And so I think I came out the other side better and stronger. But I was definitely homesick for sure. But I think it was it was definitely worth it. And this is, of course, is before cell phones. And right, before exactly. We're writing <laughs> handmade letters there. Yeah. Uh, now with my kids going abroad, we could Skype each mm -hmm. night. So it, it sort of eased that, that pain of being away. Mm -hmm. um, and it gave them reassurance that we were still there. We were always still connected. Mm -hmm. um, but also it taught them the value of being an American citizen in a global society, too. Uh, just because I can't help myself, what what animals did you see? Like, what was going on? Uh, in Kenya? Yes. Uh, we would see every kind of animal from wildebeest to uh -huh. um, uh, lions to uh, hippopotamus. Um, wow. I know one day uh, I had to take my dental school aptitude test while I was in Kenya. It was only offered one time a year. Uh -huh. And they sent it to my instructor who was there. And that morning, I was supposed to take this test, about a six-hour test. I had to go into this like, little hut. Um, but that, I'll never forget that morning, we woke up, and I unzipped my tent, the, to the, the zipper to the tent, and there's this humongous hippopotamus mm -hmm. right outside my tent, right? And we've been trying to find one, or, or see one, for at least three weeks. And they come out early in the morning, mm -hmm. and they're the most gentle creatures, right? But they are the size of a car. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the thing is, you don't want to get behind them and scare them because they will turn around and they will either they will gnaw you to that or they will just trample over you and if they're with their young then they can be very dangerous but that morning i came out of my tent and lo and behold this huge hippopotamus was right there and i didn't want to say anything but i was so excited and my other colleagues came out of their tents and we all saw this and we made a noise and they turned around and started running towards the swamp right and here we are chasing this hippopotamus, trying to get our cameras out to take pictures. And it was such a, a, an exhilarating thing to see this massive creature, right? And he, and he goes into the water, he submerges down below, he turns around, he looks at us, and he gives this amazing, like, almost this growl, right? And then we realized there were two babies oh. that were next to, this was a, a female hippopotamus. And truthfully, we were, we could have been actually been extremely hurt because you don't chase someone who's protecting their children, right? But that day, I remember having go up, going back to this hut now for six hours and to take this test to get into dental school. Um, but that's probably one of the more fascinating creatures that we saw was that large hippopotamus there. Wow, I'm very glad I asked. And now you you have me concerned that there are probably things I'm not asking that would reveal great stories. But I mean, in those six months, did anything else? Kind of very, I'm sure you had many memorable um, experiences, but uh, any great stories? Uh, I would say the, the thing that always I think about when I uh, talk about my experience in Kenya is there's this area called Hell's Gate. And Hell's Gate is a, a it's almost, if you can imagine, like a walking into a zoo, but there are no cages. And so Hell, Hell's Gate has this huge sign at the very front entrance that says, you know, once you pass these borders, you know, you are now completely at your own risk and peril. Oh, no. And so it is it's sort of forbearing, but it is exciting to actually walk into a game reserve and literally see any creature that you can imagine just walking freely by themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, myself and my instructor and two other friends of mine were walking through Hell's Gates one day, and we literally heard the ground shake. <laughs> 
And my professor, you know, you, you get schooled about what to expect when you're there. And whenever you hear the ground shaking, that means there's a stampede or there's a herd of animals coming. And we looked in, into the horizon. We saw this dust rising up. And literally, there were maybe two or three trees around us. So we're in this open area, this open Sahara. And we realized it is a, a herd of Cape buffalo. And Cape buffalo, for people don't, don't aren't aware, imagine like the size of a rhinoceros, right? But they have these huge horns, and there are at least maybe a hundred of them coming directly at mm -hmm. us. And and the rule of thumb is that when a herd comes at you, you try to be completely still, almost as if you were a tree. The key is to find a tree and stand and hug the tree, right? And do not move until they all all pass you. So we, we each saw there were three trees. There were four of us. Two of us got to one tree. The other ones got by their tree. This this whole squad, this whole herd of these huge animals come by, and there's dust, and there's rocks, and they're making all these noises. And it's, it's actually a very scary scene, right? So we, 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 we hold on. They finally pass us, right? And we think it's all over. Mm -hmm. And we come up from the trees, and we're just high-fiving each other about the great experience that we <laughs> saw. And then we look... And there's one that was like stayed behind. And this was what we realized was what they call their guardian, our protector. Uh -huh. So there's always one in the front uh -huh. who leads the herd. There's always one in the back who protects the herd. That's fascinating. It was, right? We didn't realize that this one was still there. So you're revealing yourself. You came to out the, and yeah. now we're making we're doing all the things you're not supposed to do. Uh -huh. We're making noise, we're moving around. And this one, this one Cape Buffalo puts his nose down, right, digs into the ground, and start charging my professor. Oh, no. And literally, he gets up on top of him. My professor's on his back, and he's kicking and screaming, and he's trying to get this, this wild creature away from him before he can get gored, because their horns are very sharp, and they can easily gore you into your lungs or your kidney. Mm -hmm. uh, so the three of us now surround this, this Cape Buffalo, and we're taking our jackets off, and we're just making noise, and we're like flaying it. We're almost sort of beating this huge animal to, to get off our professor. And 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 it works because he stops, he looks at the three of us, and it's almost you could tell he felt that he was surrounded, mm -hmm. and he became the almost the intimidated one. Mm -hmm. And literally, he snarled at us. He kind of like raised up on his hind legs, and then just ran away. Wow. That was probably the most horrifying thing because first I thought my professor was going to die. Mm -hmm. Second, there's nothing we could do about it. Mm -hmm. And then three, you know, we're in this area where we are the guests. You know, yeah. we really don't belong in Hell's Gate as a, as a walking biped person. Mm -hmm. it, is, it is the animal sanctuary. Um, but to me, that was one of my, uh, uh, an event I'll never forget. Being in Kenya. I'm not going to forget it. <laughs> That's high drama. <laughs> I may have a nightmare tonight from that. No, I'm sorry. But, um, no, no, no. That's good. I'm glad you shared that. Well, then you went to um, Howard University College of Dentistry yes. in Washington, mm -hmm. D.C., mm -hmm. and there was an exchange program with King's, King's College of Medicine in London, and this allowed um, students to experience um, dentistry in a, in a country that participated in socialized medicine. So it just sort of opened some doors for you by being there. Absolutely, absolutely, Jane. And, and why I went to go to, to London was, as you just said, in London there's no what they call FDA. Mm -hmm. And the FDA is very huge in America because it is like the requiring body for new drugs and things like that. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times there are things out here beyond the, the United States scope that are treating patients with illnesses that 
are not in America yet. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to really see what that was about and also wanted to see what it was what it was like to practice in an area where you didn't have health insurance to sort of regulate what you do. Meaning that in certain areas like, such as Canada and also in the UK or United Kingdom, because of socialized medicine, literally anyone and everyone has access to health care. And so it's interesting to be in a system that way to see that that no matter if you're rich or poor or old or young, no matter what you are, if you are ailing, if you have a sickness, you know, you can get that treated. What's interesting also about the London system is that they don't believe in, in colleges, meaning that right out of high school, you go right into dental school or medical school. And so it's interesting to have conversations with 18-year-olds who are really now already in their target or their pathway for their career at such a young age, truthfully. It's almost like they consider, I won't say college, a waste of time. But they're saying, if I know what I want to be already, I'm just going to go to school for that. Makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. Uh, it saves them a lot of debt. Um, mm-hmm. I know here in America, you know, our, a lot of our kids have a lot of debt from colleges. Mm-hmm. And they come out and they still don't know what they want to do. Um, so it was, it was great to see. And plus, there were some phenomenal things that they were doing over there with implantology, with jaw surgery, that we have yet to scratch the surface here because of the many regulations that we have in America. So how did you make that pivot to orthodontics? Ah, great question, Gina. For me, when I was in dental school, uh, I always worked outside of my program. So I, was at, I had a job working in a dental office, and I was a dental assistant, basically. I just used to go and volunteer there. Mm-hmm. And in this dental practice, there were almost all the disciplines of dentistry. So there were general dentists that were there. There were oral surgeons. There were periodontists. And then there were orthodontists. And I would work with each of them like once a week just to sort of see what they did and how they did it. In general dentistry, what I noticed is that it's hard to be in a profession where the first thing a person says is, I hate the dentist, right? (laughs) I mean, it it really can be demoralizing sometimes. Mm -hmm. But a lot of general dentists, they deal with that on a daily basis because most people come to the dentist because they have to. There's there's a problem, right? right? There's a problem. When you go to the oral surgeon, sometimes you're going there, you have to get a tooth removed or something like that, or the periodontist. There's a lot of blood. There's a lot of trauma involved. And, and to me, that just didn't, wasn't appealing to me. I remember going to the orthodontist office and helping this uh, gentleman one day. And what I, what I noticed was this. First, he had a suit on, right? Mm-hmm. He had maybe six or seven of his assistants who were doing a lot of the work. The kids were happy to be there. They were high-fiving him after their appointment. Um, it was just a different type of dentistry. It was a dentistry that people came because they wanted to be there, not because they had to be there. Okay. And so to me, I love that environment. Orthodontics to me is like being a, a puzzle solver. Every day a person comes in and their teeth are like a puzzle. And so now you have this analytical skill set to sort of see how can I make these teeth beautiful and straight. And so it's become the passion of what I live for. Um, and it's really pushed me to do this every day. But they do experience pain. So how do you, how do you manage <laughs> that, you know, well, that level of maybe fear? Well, it, it comes down to patient education. You know, we talk about what to expect when you get braces. You know, there are things that you can do from a patient perspective to limit the discomfort. And we talk about how to do that as far as eating softer foods, as okay. far as even the, the, the things that we use nowadays in orthodontics. You know, we use what we call nickel titanium wires, which move your teeth by, your, by the heat of your body. Oh, wow. So what it does, it cuts a, it, that pain that you used to have maybe 10 years ago, 
really becomes more palatable because it's a very slow moving process, but it's heat activated. Uh, we do a lot of Invisalign. And Invisalign, what we call these clear liners nowadays that people use without the, the metal and the brackets and the wires. And that's a huge push now, especially in our adult population, because it definitely has less painful, it's more comfortable, and it's just a, it's a cool way to get your teeth straight. Well, you do make a point about the practice of orthodontics that um, I find very compelling. You said that you truly have the ability to transform someone from possibly an introverted individual who's afraid to smile publicly into a self-confident person ready to tackle the world. Right. That's quite an impact you have on people. I, I and you must that. see it often. I do, and it's one of the joys of what we do, you know, to take a person's braces off, to see them walk into the mirror, and look and look at themselves, and, and we've had patients cry. You know, wow. we have patients who really say, "I am not, I am not the person I was a couple years ago." Um, to transform people, it is an amazing gift. Um, I tell my staff every day, we have a gift, we have a talent that we should be able to make as as ubiquitous as possible. And in reality, this is sort of why I went from one office to open up another office, to open up another office, to keep doing this, because I do think it's a gift. And our, our target has always been to go after people who are everyday people who want the best things for themselves as well as their children. You know, I don't believe braces has to be this very a rich person's thing. It should be something that is available for everyone because we all can benefit from that self-confidence when we have a, a great smile. Our tagline is, you know, the road starts with a premier smile. And I truly believe that. You know, studies show that when you have a very confident, a confident smile, you pick a better partner for marriage, you get better job offers, you just feel more secure about yourself. And, and the reality is that if you can get something like that done, why not? Mm -hmm. I do I, believe that. Yeah, I never thought of it that way, but when you position it in that sense, uh, I, I can understand that. Uh, well, I also want to raise um, the point about your scholarship program that you created 10 years ago, where you give $1,000 to any senior in the greater Cleveland area who writes a winning essay about, judged by, I suppose, you and Gigi? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, uh, an essay about the problems as well as the solutions, this is clever, uh, that they face in their community. And the, the monies paid directly to the seniors' um, college of choice to help you know, offset tuition. So that's a really wonderful thing you're doing. You're making Another way you're making a difference in people's lives. And so can you share some of the stories they've, they've um, sure. written about? Yeah, absolutely. I think one day I'd I like to publish a book about their, their the essays. <clears throat> and it was it was purposeful to ask not just what the problem was, but also what was the solution. Mm -hmm. And this came about because we see so many young people uh, every day. And it's weird what they would share with, with their doctor and not their parents sometimes. Really? And our kids, unfortunately, are faced with some major things that they deal with, whether it is, it is cyberbullying, mm -hmm. whether it's um, early pregnancies, whether it is just not being able to communicate with their parents. Um, you know, depression is a big thing nowadays, unfortunately. And so when we see these in our own children, right, and we see these in our own young adults in our community, we should have the, the ability to have conversations that are healthy and whole about what to do when you're faced with those issues. So the essay contest came up with, with the thought to say, if, okay, if you have a problem, don't just tell us about the problem. 
How do you solve that problem? And it's amazing when you listen to, to young adults, they're very smart, they're very intuitive. You know, they have a lot of the answers, but sometimes we don't ask them what that answer would be. And so the reality is that you know, by doing this, we, I, I do believe that education is the great equalizer. Uh, I do believe that giving our kids the ability to, to further themselves, whether it's through a vocational school, a two-year school, a four-year school, um, only makes them better in the long run. So, so the essay contest has come up with some phenomenal um, issues sometimes. You know, and I'll be honest, you know, one of the things that always sticks, sticks in my mind, there's a young woman who talked about uh, she was self-mutilating herself. Mm -hmm. you know, she was very depressed. Uh, she was cutting herself. Uh, she didn't think her life was worth living. Um, but her solutions were, one, people just needed to listen to people more sometimes. Um, you know, sometimes we, we, we see these tragedies that, that happen in America, and we always go, man, if I knew that was happening, could we have solved that problem? But a lot of times our young adults are telling us. They, they are actually telling us what is going on, but we don't listen sometimes. So her solution was to have these special groups where, where kids could meet on their own mm -hmm. and just talk about the, the issues that they're going through. Uh, she talked about creating support groups. Um, she talked about having helplines. And some of these things are already out here, but she had this phenomenal concept of how to make it more local, how to make it more approachable. Um, and she and I have always kept in touch because to me, I, I don't think the essay itself changed her life, but I think the essay gave her the ability to recognize how she could go about it a different way. Mm -hmm. And so I do believe that you know, these essays are, are great for the, our kids to be exposed to, yeah, I have a problem, mm -hmm. but I'm not just gonna whine about the problem. I'm gonna be creative and come up with a solution for that problem. And, and, and when you hear these kids talk, uh, it, is, it is scary sometimes, mm -hmm. but it's also super enlightening. It lets, it lets me know that our future is, is in good hands. <laughs> our young kids are very intelligent. Yeah. They're very intuitive. We just need to listen to them sometimes. Okay. Well, speaking of listening, for our listeners, mm -hmm. uh, who I'm certain are sold on you, uh, but among those who haven't had braces before, mm -hmm. can you give me an idea within your practice what percentage maybe are children and how many are adults? Sure. Because people may not right. see themselves as a potential patient. Absolutely. First, I always tell patients, or, or even potential patients, that mm -hmm. one, you don't have to be referred by your general dentist to see the orthodontist. Okay. You know, a lot of people think that I've got to go to my dentist, he's got to say I need braces, then I can make the call for the orthodontist. The reality is that if you ever look in the mirror yourself and you say, I don't like my smile, right, then pick up the phone and call the orthodontist. You don't need to be re referred. We like to see kids between the age of, say, seven to nine for their first appointments. Most of the time, the adult teeth don't fully come in until around 10 to 12. But if I can see a young child at nine, right, I can see how they are developing, how they are growing. There are things that we can do at a very early age that can actually prevent a, a young child from having even to get braces okay. by doing things at an earlier age sometimes. I would say the majority of our patients, we do about maybe 65% young adults and then 35% adults. Wow, I wouldn't have expected that. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, The fastest growing population in orthodontics are adult patients. Wow. And that is okay. because first off of Invisalign, because now adults can get treatment without having the, the stigma of wearing metal braces, okay? 
And also now a lot of insurances are paying for adult braces. Wow. You know, they used to stop at the age of 18, but now a lot of them are going into adult coverage, which makes it a less of a burden financially for adult patients as well. Wonderful. Well, listen, I'm, I'm so happy you were here to share all this information. <laughs> I've really enjoyed talking to you, and I'm sure our listeners are thrilled as well. So thank you so much for your time. My pleasure, June. It's been a, uh, it's been a treat talking to you, too. Thank you so much. <laughs>